0: Hi there, and welcome to the Oompaul.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for this next episode, it's my pleasure to bring to you a chat with Jeff Grasik, the man behind J. Allen Pipes. You can check out Jeff's fine website at jallenpipes.com. That's J-A-L-A-N-P-I-P-E-S scom Once there, you can view the showroom for available pipes and archived photos of the ones that have already been sold. But don't stop there. Check out his blog, which has some really great video. And if you tweet, there's even a link to follow him on Twitter. Jeff makes some magnificent pipes that are well known for their looks, as well as their engineering. Fantastic little masterpieces. The following podcast is made possible by SmokingPipes.com. Whether you're an old client of theirs or someone who has, God forbid, never ordered from SmokingPipes.com, go check them out now. The selection is wonderful and updated all the time. Sign up for their newsletter so that you can know when the new stuff is up. I can personally attest to the wonderful service you'll get. Sykes and his crew do a bang-up job bringing you a huge variety of pipes. While there, check out their cigars and accessories, too. No matter what you end up with, you'll be happy with the experience. Check out SmokingPipes.com today and let them know Oli sent you. The following podcast was recorded on January 9th, 2009. Have a seat. Grab a pipe and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. Okay, from the absolutely classic to the avant-garde, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show today pipe carver Jeffrey Burt Grasic of J. Allen Pipes, also known as Jeff Grasic. Welcome to the show, Jeff.
1: Hi, Ole. Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. Um, Jeff, let's get started by just asking some pretty basic questions. How did you start making pipes? How would you get into it? Sure.
1: You know, I started pike, um, like a lot of people, uh, I started actually through cigars. Um, I uh started smoking cigars when I was in college and then when uh first when I first graduated I was in the business world and, and cigars are pretty uh they, they kinda go along with that. So when I entered graduate school, uh my wife uh, uh I think reasonably informed me that uh, cigars were not too expensive and uh I guess the rest is just history. I, I um, discovered a few friends who were pipe smokers in mm-hmm. school and uh, decided that I wanted to start making them just uh, to, for my own pleasure and to take my mind off of my studies a little bit sort of as an avocation mm-hmm. while I was there. Um, so I began, uh, like a lot of pipe makers do, with the Pimo Pipe Carvers book mm-hmm. and um, uh, started exploring things online. And uh, from you know that point forward, I found uh, I found um, pipemakersforums.com, which is a w- w- is a great resource started by Tyler Beard, uh, who is unfortunately no longer um, making pipes, but he's still um, uh, fairly active um, on the on the forums. And uh, through Tyler's advice, and then later uh, Todd Johnson, I began to improve uh, the quality of my work.
0: So you started, did you start ordering blocks from PIMO too?
1: Uh, you know what? The first blocks that I ordered uh, were from Tim West. He was actually the first pipe maker I ever talked to. Um, I was trying to find the, the least expensive uh, route to go at the time and uh, found um, his, his uh, website and ended up calling and talking to Tim. I was actually surprised that the pipe maker uh, answered the phone and he gave me a lot of advice and was very generous uh, with his time. Uh, I think the first time we spoke for, for nearly an hour and uh, just gave me some tips uh, that would be really helpful for a beginner, which I most certainly was at that time. So yeah, I bought a couple blocks of briar and started in from there.
0: How long did you make pipes before you started selling them?
1: Um, well, it wasn't too long. Um, I made my first pair of pipes. I made them right next to one another with those two blocks of wood from Tim West. I made them, uh, I think, in January of 2004, over Christmas break. And uh, I was pretty proud of them at the time and made a few more after that. And I think it was after I made my seventh pipe, if I'm not mistaken, sixth or seventh pipe, um, I became uh, acquainted with Todd Johnson through Pipe Makers Forum and through uh, a connection that we had. Uh, I I was going to school with his brother-in-law and Todd was studying a very similar subject at another school not not too far away from mine. Um, so he invited me up to his workshop, and uh, I came out of that shop, and it was, I think, very shortly thereafter that someone offered me money uh, for my first pipe.
0: Was that your first pipe that you sold, your very early well, the ones? First,
1: or? It was, I think it was number seven. I, I remember it being, it was a Levat, and it was actually bought by Neil Flankbaum of uh of, uh smokingholsters.com. Oh, Okay, cool. Yeah.
0: Do you still have some of those early pipes that you made?
1: Yeah, I do. I do. Uh I promise uh, no one's ever going to see those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they're they're bad enough that I don't even look at them anymore. But uh yeah, they sit up in the cabinet uh and on on rare occasion, maybe on an annual basis, I'll I'll pull one out and uh and and put fire to it.
0: And remember, remember your roots, right?
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, and it took it, it even t- it took a bit of modification last time I decided to do that just to make them uh, more smokable.
0: Really?
1: Yeah, I had all the internal dimensions all wrong and everything. At least you know, according to what I I, I consider to be right now. Yeah. Um, they they were smokable before, but they they, they certainly didn't smoke well. But uh, uh, yeah, I keep them around just for, for nostalgia.
0: The very first time I met you, I was at this last Chicago show in 2008
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: I was taking the uh, pipe making seminar and um, you came around with your case and you opened it up and man, I was amazed at what I saw when you opened your case. Thank you. I've never seen anything quite like it. Seriously. Um, The shapes, the colors, um, it blew me away. I was like, you know, and It was it was just really something to see. And uh, I got to tell you, that was just like, wow. You know, I I I appreciate knowing that. I got to know more about this guy. So, yeah, it was uh, it was really awesome to see your your work right off the bat. Um, Gosh, that was like the first day I was there. Um, But anyway, who would you say did you have any mentors along the way when you first started?
1: Yeah, there are some people that I can point to, um, right away that were very, very influential right from the start. Uh, obviously the first person would be Todd Johnson, uh, Mm -hmm. Todd Nair. Uh, as I said, we're studying very similar subjects. And, uh, you know, he very generously invited me to his, his workshop in, uh, in Connecticut at the time. Um, I made two pipes there and, uh, we corresponded quite a bit after that. And I visited his shop one other time where he gave me some additional, um, uh, aid. Uh, The other two people that have been very helpful uh, to me, one is uh, Tawny Nielsen. I spent a day with Tawny again in 2004. It was several months after I visited Todd. And it's amazing how much you can absorb in 24 hours if if all you have is 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I worked late into, well, early into the morning at Tawny's house uh, when I visited And he was again very generous uh, to offer his time, and he's since become he and Barbara, his wife, are just very good friends, and I I look forward to seeing them at every show that I go to. Um, And uh, the other person is my uh, my very good friend uh, Jody Davis, uh, who lives not too far from me here in San Diego. He lives in Yuma, and uh, I, uh, after my wife and I moved to San Diego, I spend a lot. I have since spent a lot of time uh, in Jody's workshop. And uh, he's uh, not only a very good friend, a very talented pipe maker, um, but he's been a, a, a very big, inf- uh, big influence in, in in a mentoring kind of way from the very beginning. Um, and uh, yeah, those are those are the big three, I would say, have who have been the most. The, the, they're the figures who I would consider to be mentors,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in a, in a more traditional sense, where I've actually spent time with these people.
0: What other carvers outside of mentors? What other carvers do you? Find influential
1: now. Oh, that's a that's a good question. I think that that, that has evolved over time, and simply uh, through exploration and awareness of of all the carvers that were out there. I remember when I visited Todd in uh, in July of two thousand four, um, he started using these names like Bo and Lars and Yez, uh, and I had no idea who he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, well a lot has changed since then uh, I've I've not only, you know, had the opportunity to see these people's work, but I've, I've met them. And, uh, I would say the great Danes are probably my, my biggest influences these days. I have such great respect and admiration for the work of, uh, the late Bon Nord, uh, whose work was, is obviously, um, just foundational for, uh, for pipe makers today and Sixton before him. um, mm-hmm. But also Lars Everson, Lars's work is just uh, absolutely inspiring and it, it, it stands in its own, very, very own, uh, or very much its own position. Uh, it's, it, his work is extremely distinctive as is Yez Konovich, who is another pipe carver whom I consider to be, uh, one of, if not, you know, the best in the world. His work has just been consistently of high quality and his shapes are very, very inspiring, though they are much more conservative than I think a lot of uh those th- th- than what what a lot of people are drawn to, but I find Yez's work to be in- extraordinarily um, inspiring uh, the guys at s bang too uh, uh, per and Ulf are just unbelievable carvers and i'm I'm constantly amazed by their ability to consistently innovate i mean they, these guys have been doing this a long time, and it would be very easy to get into a rut um, but they keep keep evolving and changing and and uh, they're really at the cutting edge of uh, of pipe design, I believe. And finally, I would say uh, Cornelius Mantz a he, he was also a help to me early on. He sent me some supplies. He was very generous uh, taking some phone calls early on. And, uh, you know, we've uh, actually had the opportunity to meet here in Chicago this past year in 2008. And uh, it was a long time coming, and it was great to finally meet him. He's, his shapes are really very, very original. And uh, he, he incorporates traditional elements, classical pipe design, but uh, he's he's taking it a whole new direction. And uh, he's a guy to watch. He's just absolutely amazing. So, yeah, those are those are the big guys for me.
0: Tell me about some of your artistic inspirations for your work, because um, your work has you know some very unique and very original. Ideas where it comes to form and I want to know what's what's kind of behind that
1: Well, I think that uh, You know a, a lot of folks talk about natural elements. I, I remember reading about uh, Lars how he would go for walks in the woods and that was very inspiring for him or uh, Tony told me the very same thing that it's, it's things in nature that influences work and I you know I have to agree there's a lot of things that you see that you don't immediately, you know, I I don't look at things when I'm going for a walk and and say, wow, that's, that's a pipe. You know, I've got to make that into a pipe, but instead I I see a lot of things that I think um, work their way into my work without, you know, me making a conscious effort to do so. Um, And being where we are, we're in San Diego. We're right on the, on the water here. Right. And, And, you know, we see, boats traveling by all the time. And I grew up uh, just off the Great Lakes, grew up sailing on the Great Lakes. And um, uh, so, that, so water, the sort of aquatic themes have always really been important to me. And I think that's made its way into my work. I have the, the nautical Dublin shape, which has taken what is a, an Eversonesque esque line that travels from the, the tip of the bowl to the, to the end of the shank And I've tried to take that in a new direction with, uh, with, with my work, uh, by using it to, to evoke different, a different sense. For me, it's a nautical, uh, sensation, uh, nautical, um, uh, design element that it's, it's like the bow of a boat cutting through water. And that's, that's, that's one thing for me, but as I think is evidenced in my description of that, of that, uh, that shape, it's, it's a nautical Dublin. So the one side is the, is the more natural element, and the other is is the traditional. I mean, it's, it's it's based on the Dublin shape. So I would say the other major influence for my work is classical pipe design. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's a billiard or a Dublin or a Lovett, uh, all of these these natural element or these these uh, these traditional pipe elements, whether it's proportionality or um, the the way that a curve of a billiard um cuts underneath right at the shank all of these things are uh very very influential to my work and i tried to try to to incorporate them and I, I i love making billiards um but i also like um i like varying that i have my liminal billiard which is a sort of a uh a look back at my uh, the 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 word liminal is a a, a look back at my graduate work a way to incorporate some of that stuff, but you know, it's. I, I think it's it's got to be a balance between the two. If you're if you're too avant garde with things, you you limit a lot of your market, and and you it it can fail to show an understanding and an appreciation for the the classical shapes that I have a great appreciation
0: for. Isn't that something too the way those classical shapes stay with us, and are just no. so amazingly. Um, Gosh, they're, they're, they're a constant, wherever we turn, wherever we look, you know, as, as, um, unique or as, um, cutting edge as we see pipes getting, you know, over the years, we always kind of come back to these very traditional shapes that have, you know, been there since the beginning and Mm -hmm. they're really great old friends that, um, we just love to keep around.
1: Right. Well, they're, they're sort of the archetypical pipes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When you see a billiard, you think that's a pipe. And there are a lot of beautiful sculptural pipes that are made now That your first thought when you see it. Or if you, especially if you were an outsider in the pipe, uh, out, someone outside of the pipe world, you would look at it and maybe not know right away that it was a pipe. So I think that the, there's that, that sense of comfort that you find in knowing what something is, mm-hmm. um, that it has a place. And that it, that it fits that archetype, so yeah, I, I would agree that the, the classics are classics for a reason because they communicate something to us
0: on that maybe uh Jungian level right right, right um what was your graduate work by the way?
1: Uh, I did my graduate work in theology
0: interesting so yeah. um, tell me tell me about the billiard and how that ties into your graduate work
1: how the billiard t- oh the the liminal billiard yeah. Uh well the term liminal is, is a is a sociological term. Um it it comes from the field of sociology where it's uh, specifically used in that field to describe someone who is sort of a, a part of one community and sort of a part of another community. So it gives them the ability to stand they're, they're not fully part of either either one community so they have the ability to speak critically about both. They they're in a very unique position. Uh, so the liminal billiard is one that it's kind of a, kind of a, just a little nod towards that because the, the shank is, is a little bit too long to be considered a traditionally shaped billiard and it's a little too short to be a traditional love it. So I call it a liminal billiard. It's right between the two.
0: Very interesting. Um, tell me, how do you begin working on a pipe? Do you start on paper? Do you go ahead and grab a block of wood and start working with it that way?
1: you know it all depends um if it's uh it it depends what what's in the order pipeline so if if i have specific orders for a shape then i i know what shape i'm going to be i'm I'm setting out to create and i'll search for a block to that, that will yield that shape in the best way possible um now if it's if i'm making something that I'm going to be sending to a retailer or or if, if it's something that I'm doing simply as an artistic expression. Many times I'll just pick up a block, either sketch on a block as you suggested and cut straight into it or I will just pick up the block and take it right to the sanding disc and see what, what happens. So it really does depend on what uh, what I'm hoping to create in the end.
0: What do you find to be... The most challenging part of pipe making.
1: The cha- most challenging part, gosh. Um, in terms of uh, uh, the, the actual production, the creation of a yeah. pipe, is that what you're asking? Yeah, mm mm-hmm. um, Well, I think every, every pipe maker uh, would probably agree that one of the biggest battles that you fight is, uh, is flaws. Uh, none of us sets out to make a uh, uh a pipe that we have to throw away because of flaws so if you uh, that that's probably the biggest and most expensive uh battle that we fight um, and the other I think is um uh, probably in terms of the more more artistically expressive pipes that that I create it's trying to learn to express or to, to, to allow myself the freedom to, to create what I want to create while also understanding that there's a commercial aspect to this. And, uh, it has to, I have to have a market for that pipe.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So it's, I, I think every artist deals with that tension between wanting to fully express oneself and also wanting to put food on the table at the end of the day. So, uh, there's a, that that restrains the artistic side from um, from going too far out of bounds. But it also, the artistic side doesn't allow the commercial side to, to entirely take over either, so that I'm still expressing myself and having a unique voice in, in the pipes that I make. It's really, it, it's sometimes uh, very challenging and sometimes uh, challenging in a, in, a, in a fun way, uh, where it's exciting to, to uh, explore that territory.
0: I would imagine that is a pretty difficult balancing act there. hmm Is there any um, one particular part about pipe making as, as far as actually making the pipe with your hands, is there any part of that that you find that you really, really look forward to more than any other part? Like, for example, um, are you really crazy about stems, or are you, you know, really into, you know... <laughs> when you start to get the color in there, or or uh, is it the shaping that really, you know, does it for you? Or, or is it all just, is kind of the whole, you know, the whole thing together? Uh,
1: you know, I, I think it depends on the day, but um, I can say without, without any exception that uh, my favorite thing to do is the first, the first small portion of pipe making, which is cutting the shape, uh, shaping, shaping the initial um, uh, block into a pipe, is the most exciting part because you get to see something turn from a block of wood into this, uh, beautiful creation. And that, that, I, in fact, I don't know any pipe maker who, who doesn't find that to most, uh, to be the most exciting part of it. Um, but unfortunately that's, you know, the first very, it's a very small portion of the time that you spend working on a pipe. The rest of it is, is all detail work that, that contribute to the pipe being a high grade
0: what was the catalyst that drove you to say, yes, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to make pipes. It's what I'm going to do.
1: You know, there was never, there was never, um, a moment that I looked at it and, and, and made a, uh, a decision one way or another. It just, it was very natural. Um, so when I was in graduate school, as I, as I became more and more passionate about it, I found myself sitting in a class, um, on social ethics, but, instead of taking notes was sketching pipe shapes. And uh, it was, I I began to slowly realize, wow, I really, really enjoy doing this. I I think that I I wanna go home after class and and, and make this shape. So I would, as I I got more and more involved in it when I was in graduate school, um, it just became, it it naturally uh, followed that I would just continue making pipes afterwards uh, to the consternation of of, uh, many of my professors and advisors (laughs) <laughs> uh who uh, Who had different plans, but uh yeah. you know that's not where I am right now so
0: where's your workshop?
1: My workshop is uh in my garage, which is uh adjoining uh, our our uh, uh apartment here in San Diego.
0: How long have you been in San Diego? We've been
1: in San Diego since the summer or really the spring of two thousand and six. Before that we were in Princeton, New Jersey.
0: Did you grow up there?
1: No, no. We were just in graduate school there. But while we were in graduate school, we that's that's where we lived for three years of graduate school and we moved here.
0: And before that, you were in the Great Lakes area? Uh,
1: no, actually, before that, we were in Ohio, uh, where my uh, wife and I had our first jobs out of college, and before that, uh, Illinois, where we both went to college. And then before that, I was in the Great Lakes region, so I've moved around quite a bit.
0: And you started making pipes um, about where it was once you were in uh,
1: it was it was in princeton new jersey we were we, when we were in our graduate or involved in our graduate work that's when I, I i decided to take up pipe making as a hobby
0: about how many pipes a year do you currently make
1: currently well uh, for two thousand and eight I made eighty nine pipes, and the year before I
0: made eighty do you plan to probably produce about that many in 2009
1: yeah uh, i'd like to um i'd like to ideally make uh 100 about 100 pipes in a year um but i'm not disappointed uh with 90 at all um i, I wouldn't want to go much beyond that because i would uh i don't know that um i i wouldn't want to make any any quality compromises uh, with my work so uh, i think 100 is probably the most that i'll produce
0: What do people seem to respond to the most about your work?
1: In what way?
0: Um, When people come up to you and talk about your work, what what do you find that they're responding to the most? Do you think um, it's the shapes? Do you think, um, is there any one thing that you could point to and, and say, you know, here's what people really, really dig about my work?
1: Well, I think uh, I, I think it probably goes through. There are at least two stages in this. The one is the initial uh, contact with a customer. Something that draws, as for instance, at a pipe show, something that draws someone to your table is they see a shape uh, and or the fit and finish that uh, that's attractive to them, and that's you know usually the thing that that initially attracts someone, And what keeps people coming back is uh, is smokeability, uh, comfort um, uh, of the. Uh, of the, the stem in their mouth. I, I put a lot of effort into uh, designing and making my, my stems as consistent and as comfortable as a pipe stem can be. Um, and then the internal um, elements of the pipe, the way that, uh, that, it's, that it's drilled, the, the internal engineering is, is very, very important uh, for the smokability of a pipe. So that's all fundamental. Um, someone can buy a pretty pipe from you But if if it doesn't smoke well, that's the last pipe you'll ever sell them. Um, So I uh, had to make sure that all of those fundamentals were in place uh, before I really went crazy with uh, with, um, pipe designs. But I would say that the the two biggest responses are yes, uh, shape and smokability.
0: Tell me about the Blowfish set you did with Brad Pullman.
1: Oh, that was was that 2006, I believe. Um, Brad and I I think I think it began, if I recall correctly, Brad sent me photos of a blowfish he was working on and I I was inspired by it. I I, I could be re- not remembering this correctly, but I'm I'm pretty sure this is true. Um, that he sent me photos and I was inspired by his photos. I, I I said, Hey, Brad, let's, let's make a set. And I made one as well. And, uh, we met up at the, the Richmond pipe show, um, and had a stand from Adam Davidson of Adam Davidson design, uh, put together for it. And we displayed it together at the, at the Richmond show. Unfortunately, the distance between, American makers is much greater than those of European makers. Uh, so we mostly are able to correspond uh, on projects like this through uh, through photos over over email.
0: Mm-hmm. That is really neat. I, when I saw that on your site, um, I wanted to know this you know more about the story behind it because, uh, yeah, first of all, it's it's not very often that you see. Um, folks get together and and do a collaborative like that and mm-hmm. I thought that was really something. That stand is is really amazing too to uh Adam's credit. And uh, Right,
1: Adam's a, a great craftsman and, and a wonderful designer.
0: How did um and how did you guys um get Adam in on that?
1: Uh, well we knew Adam. Uh I I I think we had both known Adam for a few years at that point. Um So when we were talking about how we were going to display the pipes, it was just natural that we, uh, that our minds immediately went to Adam. Uh, he's one of the only guys in America that's making very, very artistic stands that I think he's the only one that I can think of. Um, and he's just amazingly talented. So he was the first guy, uh, that both of our minds went to. And, uh, he was, uh, obviously very responsive to that, uh, that request.
0: It is unfortunate that um a lot of the American carvers are so um far apart because when you guys mm-hmm. do get together it it really is amazing to see this wonderful collaborative effort. It's really cool and I, I think that's just great that you guys did that.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Brad's a really good friend and uh, you know, in my opinion it's just one of the one of the most talented uh pipe makers in the US. So, you know, there's there's you know no other uh, there are very few other uh, makers in America with whom I would want to to uh, um, collaborate on a on a work like this.
0: And one one great thing too, I mean, everybody knows who's in the pipe community, who's going to be listening to this podcast. What what a great community it is! Just to be a pipe smoker, Indeed. But mm-hmm. um, to be um, to know that the the folks who make these great pipes also have a community of their own that is so tight mm-hmm. is is a wonderful thing as well.
1: It is. You know, that's one of the things that, that was initially a big draw for me is that it was a, it was a great community and it wasn't related at all to my, my studies, which I, I needed at the time. And, you know, as a result, um, of my, my, um, time here in the pipe world, I have really developed very, very great friendships. Uh, Brad, um, is just a really good friend. And, uh, we chat all the time, Jody, and I talk all the time and we've, Uh, Jody and I have worked in the shop with Mike Linder. Mike's come down to Yuma and we've, we've all worked together several times. Brad's come down to Yuma and we've worked, uh, together in the same shop. So it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun to not only talk to these guys on the phone and see them at shows, but also, you know, work together with them to share ideas and just, you know, pick up little, uh, things there or, or, uh, share little, little things with other people.
0: You have some very unique interpretations on shapes, from the stand-up Dublin to your Blocano, to your acorn blowfish, or my personal favorite, the cradled strawberry. Where does mm-hmm. this? And I know we touched on on this a little bit, but um, where did the, does this wild imagination come from?
1: Uh, you know, a lot of those shapes are really based in, in traditional pipe shapes. So if you look at the the, the uh, Um, the acorn, the acorn blowfish, that was just a merger between two shapes, one more traditional, the acorn and one that's, uh, become a a modern classic, the the crosscut blowfish or the fugu blowfish. Um, and I, I think that I was just, I think I had a, a pad one day and I was just sketching things out and it, it, uh, just came to me that that was kind of a cool, cool interpretation or a cool, uh, merger of two. Uh, shapes that I really appreciated. And at that point, I don't think I had done uh, another acorn. I had been kind of reluctant to do it because there are a lot of other makers who are doing them really well, um, and you never want to just step in and and do the same thing other people are doing. So it was an opportunity for me to do something uh, a little different. The cradled strawberry came out of that same story. I think it initially was um, going to be an acorn-based shape, And just as the wood would have it, um, I ended up shaping it into that shape. Uh, I didn't think of the strawberry name until after I stained it. That was really the inspiration behind the name. But, uh, yeah, it was um, pipe makers would all agree that there are many, many surprises um, uh, that contribute to your development as a pipe maker. You never really end up making what you initially set out to make.
0: And the wonderful story there though, I think, is that you allow it to happen and recognize when it's happening and and let it be what it's gonna be in that case, like for example the cradled strawberry, instead of saying, mm-hmm. Oh gosh, I'm going to push through and this is gonna be an acorn, um you, right. know, you allowed right. something else to happen and then after you stained it you realize, you know, what it was and mm-hmm. um you know that's where talent really lies instead of, um, you know, cranking out this and that and the other, um, being able to interpret what's going on and know, basically knowing when to stop, I think, in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's probably true.
0: Um, so that's that's really, um, I, th- I think that's a lot to say about, um, you know, somebody with your kind of talent. I think that's... Uh, it's a great thing to have for you to have that kind of insight. That's really, really something else. To know, you know what? Yeah, I, you know, I was gonna do this acorn. However, here's what we're going to do now. You know, that?
1: right, right, yeah, yeah. It's like I said, it's nothing that you ever plan on doing. Um, but we, uh, a lot of us uh, who are pipe makers, kind of look at pipe making as a series of, of, uh, of problems that need to be solved. Uh, if it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not uh, natural, then it's man-made, you know. <laughs> yeah. If you make a mistake, then you've got to correct for it. Um, and then oftentimes it turns into something that you never planned it to be and something that you uh, are, are very pleased with and, and choose to repeat in the future.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, things evolve kind of naturally um, in this in this specific art form in ways that I think uh, other art forms that I have uh, – uh, taken up in the past uh, don't often turn out
0: when you're not making pipes what do you like to do
1: well uh the first thing uh, would be hanging out with my my lovely wife and my beautiful little girl uh that's they they take up uh thankfully take up the majority of my non-pipe making time um but uh i'm also uh i, I guess when you're when you're um, hobby becomes your business as pipe making has, you have, uh, you have to find some other hobbies. Right. So I, uh, <laughs> this year, this year took up surfing, uh, which is a, a very Southern California thing to do. But, uh, a few months after that, I, I made my first, uh, surfboard from scratch and Uh-oh. I've been surfing that ever since. <laughs> yeah. I uh, don't, don't, don't worry. There, there's, there's no money in that. <laughs> Can't support a family on surfboard making. At least I, I wouldn't be able to. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really into music, uh, play, play a lot of guitar. That's what I originally went to school for. And uh, um, do a lot of reading as well. So we, we stay pretty active uh, mentally and physically.
0: Do you have a favorite pipe that you smoke more than any other?
1: You know, um, I don't really think that I do. I have, I have a set of go-to pipes. But not one in particular that's uh, uh, more worn out than others um, some... but I, Go ahead. I I smoke mostly my own pipes um, i uh, really it's funny we were talking a lot about my more whimsical uh, shapes but i uh, I tend to smoke billiards uh, billiards that I've made in my workshop um, wow. and I also have uh, pipes from a lot of my uh, from all of my mentors uh, that I, that I smoke fairly regularly. I have a beautiful Canadian made for me by my friend, Brad Pullman. That's a, uh, that's a favorite Jody Davis. And I did an exchange and I have one of his, uh, his workhorse billiards. That's a, that's a favorite as well. And I uh, have one of Tony Nielsen's uh, diamond shanked billiards, which is a fantastic smoker. I, I smoke that often also. And then I have a pipe from Todd Johnson that I smoke uh, fairly regularly. So, you know, I I feel like I've, got all of my mentors in there and they, you know, yeah, they're, that's, that's they're nice. there for a reason. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Do you have a favorite pipe tobacco right now?
1: You know, that, uh, that changes a lot, but, uh, I, I, the old standby for me is Smokers Haven's Exotic. Uh, the stuff is fabulous. And I just picked up, uh, for the first time, unfortunately, uh, for the first time I, I, uh, smoked a tin of, um, Dunhill's aperitif, and, and was very sad to find out that uh, it's no longer being produced. So I'll have to uh, scrounge around at pipe shows and see if I can find a few more tins.
0: And you started first smoking pipes when you were in grad school? Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That That would be, That. that's the time. I smoked once before.
0: But that's that's pretty much when you started regularly smoking pipes, I guess? Yeah, yeah. What can we expect out of JL and Pipes in the future?
1: Well, uh, you know, I'm probably going to be doing a lot more um, explorations in classic shapes uh, this year. Um, I I continue to be fascinated by the classic shape. I'm looking forward to to doing some more uh, in different classic shapes than I've done in the past. And uh, also exploring my artistic boundaries as well. Um, Seeing, seeing how my mind can, uh, can translate thoughts into Briar, I think will be, will be a lot of fun this year. Uh, I think I'll have some more freedom to do that um, uh, more so than in the past. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm also uh, involved in a project right now to, uh, I've been studying uh, a, a Nord shape and have been producing um, a very limited number uh, of studies of this original Bonord, uh tomato. So that's, that's something that I'm, I'm currently involved in.
0: Excellent. Well, that sounds great, Jeff. And unless you have um, anything else to add, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there.
1: All right. Well, you know, I really appreciate you, uh taking the time to do this. I feel honored to have been included and, that, and I hope that uh your listeners do enjoy this conversation we've had.
0: Absolutely. I really appreciate your time and I appreciate what you're putting into um the hobby, the industry and our selection. You you have an amazing artistic eye and uh your pipes are known all over the world. You've got uh a great following and there's a good reason for that. You put out some amazing work and I know that there's a number of folks, including myself, that are, are anxious to see um, what you're going to bring to the next shows. So thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, have a chat with us today. It's been great, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Ole. And that was a chat with Jeff Grasik, the man behind J. Allen Pipes. You can check out his website at jallenpipes.com. That's J-A-L-A-N-P-I-P-E-S.com. And I highly recommend that you do Jeff is such a nice guy, and the work he does really speaks for itself. You can see a listing there of dealers worldwide who carry his phenomenal work at his website under Dealers. Once again, I'd like to remind you that this podcast was made possible by SmokingPipes.com. Check out their stellar selection and service today. I promise you will not be disappointed. Tell them Oli sent you. This is Oli from umpaul.com wishing you very good luck trying to decide... Which J. Allen pipe, made by Jeff Graysick is going to be next in your collection? Hey, if you like what you're hearing, consider making a donation to the podcast. Donate at any level right there on the site. But when you donate at the $100 level, you will be able to choose your very own monstrosity pipe. Check out the latest horrific pipes at oompal.com. Thanks, and take care.